The last time I took uh, the service or spoke uh, here was uh, Mother's Day. And here I am tonight on Father's Day evening speaking. So um, I don't know if I was being given a hint. Anyway, I, I, someone sent this to me uh, via email. And I just thought, I don't know if you've, you've heard it before, but for those of you who haven't, I, I think it's quite funny, actually. It's why God created children, and in the process, grandchildren. To those of us who have children in our lives, whether they are our own, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, or students, here is something to make you chuckle. Whenever your children are out of control, you can take comfort from the thought that even God's omnipotence did not extend to his own children. After creating heaven and earth, God created Adam and Eve. And the first thing he said was, don't. Don't what? Adam replied. Don't eat the forbidden fruit, God said. Forbidden fruit? We have forbidden fruit? Hey, Eve, we have forbidden fruit. No way. Yes, way. Do not eat the fruit, said God. Why? Because I am your father and I said so, God replied, wondering why he hadn't stopped creation after making the elephants. A few minutes later, God saw his children having an apple break, and he was ticked. Didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit, God asked. Uh-uh, Adam replied. Then why did you, said the father. I don't know, said Eve. She started it, Adam said. Did not, did too, did not. Having had it with the two of them, God's punishment was that Adam and Eve should have children of their own. Thus the pattern was set and it has never changed. But there is reassurance in the story. If you have persistently and lovingly tried to give children wisdom and they haven't taken it, don't be hard on yourself. If God had trouble raising children, what makes you think it would be a piece of cake for you? Things to think about, fathers and mothers. <laughs> you spend the first two years of their life teaching them to walk and talk. Then you spend the next 16 telling them to sit down and shut up. Grandchildren are God's reward for not killing your own children. <laughs> mothers of teen, teens know why they're why some animals eat their young. <laughs> Children seldom misquote you. In fact, they usually repeat word for word what you should have said. The main purpose of holding children's parties is to remind yourself that they are children more awful than your own. We child-proofed our house, but they're still getting in. Advice for the day, fathers, be nice to your kids. They will choose your nursing home one day. <laughs> and finally, if you have a lot of tension and you get a headache, do what it says on the aspirin bottle. Take two aspirin and keep away from children. I thought I was quite funny, not having any kids myself. Anyway, earlier on, Andrew read to us from Luke chapter 5. And we heard again that famous fish story, the calling of the first disciples. St. Peter was called the big fisherman. 
Some time ago, I saw a sign that says, born to fish, forced to work. And I thought of a few people that that would describe. I think everybody has a fish story to tell. A situation where you perhaps toiled and labored and worked hard at something for weeks, months, perhaps years. You've tried your best at something, but have produced nothing. Today, if you're discouraged, if you're filled with despair about a situation, then this message is for you. First of all, I'd like to draw, to, to bring a few points about this miracle story, the miracle of provision. And the first thing I'd, I'd like to draw your attention to is that this success story actually begins with failure. When I was at high school, my school motto was per adua ad astra, which translate through difficulties to success. And I remember on graduation, my principal saying to us all, if you think you're going to experience success in life without failure, you're sadly mistaken, and I never forgot that. Going back to the story, just to recap on what's been read, there are two boats on the beach. They're empty. The nets are washed. Frustrated fishermen, who were professional fishermen, had tried their best all night. They were angry. Spit out these words. We have fished all night and caught nothing. Have you ever said those words to someone? Have you ever heard someone saying, I've tried my best. I've done this. I've done everything I could. I've tried everything I know how to. And I've still failed. I believe God wants us to note today that the miracle of provision is for us. All of us, those stories so long ago that happened applies today. Every miracle of Jesus has a message, and the message of this miracle holds a success to every spiritual, financial, personal, and professional effort you will ever make in your life. And that message is, try again. It was recorded in these words, persistence overcomes resistance. If you are going to accept the destiny God has for you, you're going to have to learn to become persistent. We have to learn to become persistent. Jesus got into Simon's boat after they'd been out fishing all night and had caught nothing. And he gave them a command. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. Now, if I were Peter... I could think of dozens of reasons why I would not want to. Peter was a professional fisherman. He had lived on the sea all his life, and so had all his fishing partners. Jesus, on the other hand, was an unemployed carpenter. What did he know about fishing? You are asking me, you are advising me about my professional career, and you know nothing about fishing. You know nothing about what I'm supposed to do. Have you ever come across people like that? They have no idea what you have to do 
in your profession, and yet they're quite willing to give you advice. Peter says, I've been fishing all night. But Jesus says, I know you've tried your best. I know you've got no results. I know you're frustrated. I know you're soaked to the skin. But I want you to go out there and try again. Charles Spurgeon said, by persistence, the snail got on the ark. Get a picture of that. If I were Noah, I would have grabbed the snail and put him on board myself. Persistence is the willingness to give it another try rather than make an alibi. How many of you have relatives who always give an alibi for their failure? They're never responsible for anything that goes wrong in their lives. Wives blame their husband, husband blame their wife. Sometimes we blame God. But persistence finds a way. If you think you're beaten, you're beaten. If you dare not, then you won't. If you want to win, you have to think that you can. In Philippians 4.1, Paul tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In Hebrews 12, he says, let us run with perseverance. James writes at length on the topic of perseverance. Have you tried at something and failed? Try again. Last evening, Andrew spoke at length about the life of William Wilberforce. I didn't do as much study as he did, but I saw the film. And on one occasion, it seemed, the way the, 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 the um, characters were portrayed, that William Wilberforce was dis despondent. He was discouraged. He felt there was no way that they were going to win. And then somebody came up with a bright idea. But I'm sure at times he must have felt, oh, I'm never going to get never going to get this, this bill through Parliament. But he didn't stop. He kept trying, and he kept trying, and he persisted. He persisted, and we know the end results. The master commanded the fishermen, launch out into the deep. Jesus is master of the winds and waves, and he is saying to us today as his church, launch out into the deep. Forget the past. God can still move mountains. He can still part the Red, the Dead Sea, the Red Sea. The Bible tells us that we will walk through the fire, but we will not be burned. We'll walk through the water, but they won't sweep over us. Nothing is impossible with God. And when He tells us to try again, that's what we should do. We are children of the king. We cannot be defeated. You know, we have God's angels all around us, in front of us, behind us. We're surrounded by God's love. Paul understood that. If you read Ephesians 1, you will see how he describes us as God's children so powerfully. We are blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. John Wesley, 
was the father of Methodism. It was called Methodism because they had a method in which they worshipped the Lord. John Wesley built a worldwide religious empire around groups of 12 men, and he began this in England. However, he wanted desperately to be a missionary. He went to America, but failed miserably. He returned to England after a while, thinking his ministerial life was over. And then in that frustration, he discovered what his actual destiny happened to be. Out of the anguish of his soul was born a revival that swept through England and America. When he, think, when he thought things were over, it hadn't even taken off yet. And sometimes, I believe, just when we think things are over and we're ready to give up, God steps in and the best is yet to come. And I think that every day when we get up, if our name is not in the obituary column, we can say, praise the Lord, today is going to be the best day of my life. God is going to do great things. The best is yet to come. I could go on all evening about people who've tried, failed and tried again. People who started off thinking they were going to fail with, with, with uh, not the right credentials, but yet have tried and have been successes. And something I've noticed in my life, God always takes us back to the place of failure and ask us to try again. The other point I want to make about this miracle story, it is a story of servanthood. It is important to note here that Jesus taught his disciples to be servants before he made them disciples. So what happened? Sometimes when we mention the word servant, many people run out the door. I came to be blessed. Many people are willing to serve God, but only in the role of an advisor. The mental image we have of a servant is that of a pathetic creature without purpose, weak and shabby. The attitude of some Christians is, I'll do it if I can be seen, if I can be recognized if I could be in the spotlight. But in Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, he that is the greatest among you is a servant of all. Galatians 5, 13 says, through love, serve one another. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, launch out into the deep. Right there, Peter's future held in the balance. Had he not, we would not have had Simon Peter. We would not have heard about him. Thirdly, this miracle story is a story of obedience. How many of you have a, a sneaky streak in you, a rebellious streak in you? Nobody's going to own up. I do.
I'm always asking why. Why me? Are you sure? When God asks me to do things, I question. And sometimes that is, that's our first response. Especially when the request seems so unreasonable. I heard this story the other day and thought, it went, it'd go well here. While crossing the U.S.-Mexican border on his bicycle, Pedro was stopped by the border patrol who pointed to the two sacks that he had on his shoulders. What's in those sacks? Pedro said, sand. Put the sand down on the ground so we can see that's all you've got in the sacks. Pedro put the sand down on the ground. They looked inside. Okay, they said, it's only sand. So Pedro put the sand back in the sacks and he went across the border. The next day, they asked Pedro the same thing. He came across riding a bicycle with two sandbags on his shoulders. What's in the bags? Sand. Take it out. They took it out. They checked it. They reloaded the sandbags. Day after day after day for six months. Finally, Pedro didn't show up, and the border patrolman saw him downtown. He said to Pedro, you have been driving me crazy. I know you are smuggling something across the border. I won't say a word. What are you smuggling? And Pedro said, bicycles. <laughs> now, how many of us have a rebellious, sneaky streak in us? Pe Jesus said to Peter, launch out into the deep and take your nets. But what did Peter do? See, Peter had reasons to refuse. First of all, the request was unreasonable. Look, I've been out there all night. What do you know about fishermen, fishing? You are trying to tell me how to fish when you know nothing about fishing? The Bible doesn't say this, of course, but I could just imagine me in that situation. And Jesus said, you've just come in, you're worn out, you're, you're fed up, you're frustrated, you've been up all night and not caught a thing. And Jesus calmly comes into your boat and says, put your nets in the boat and go back out and you think, it doesn't make sense. Also, it was the wrong place. It was the wrong time. You only fish at night. Jesus was asking him to go out and fish in the day. It made no sense. It was absolutely contrary to what Peter understood about fishing. When you're a professional fisherman, an un unemployed carpenter tells you how to start fishing, it would get on your nerves. And you see, when God asks us to do something that we understand, we do not have to live by faith, and it's easy to do. But when God asks us to do something we don't understand, doesn't make sense to us, we have to live by faith. But we can either sit on the beach where it is comfortable, or we could launch out into the deep. Either we trust and obey, or go the other way. Jonathan was telling me a story, well, he was telling me about someone he encountered at, at the church weekend, a telephone engineer who had visited a home to repair a phone, I guess. 
And after he'd done that, surprisingly, he asked the couple if he could pray with them. Just like that. And they had a prayer. And believe it or not, the lady was so excited afterwards, she said, it was like my eyes had been opened. It was like a Damascus Road experience. Although she had been a Christian for years and years and years, she said it was just emotion. It was just what you did. It was just an act. And she never really understood what it was to be a committed Christian, what, what it was to give your life to God. And just a simple prayer like that, in obedience, now, if I had gone to, if I was a telephone engineer, I'd gone to fix the phone. I know me, and God had said, pray with that couple. I said, oh no, I'm a telephone engineer, and I've come to fix the phone. Well, I, 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 I don't know if I can do it. I, I, I would find lots of reasons, because it would be something that I would not understand. But yet, in obedience, he prayed, and that made a complete change in the life of that one person who subsequently took it to her church. And who knows, in a few years, that whole church might be revived and challenged into what it really means to be a child of God, a real disciple. And I know there have been occasions when God has asked me to do things, and I have thought don't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But that's the business he's in. And you know, Peter could have said, no, I'm not going out because I won't catch it. There are no fish in the day. They don't, they're not around. What am I going to catch? But we know the end of the story. When they went out, the results were amazing. It was the same sea the same nets, the same boat, the same fishermen, fishermen, but this time they caught a bonanza of fish. And what happened to the one net that they took in disobedience? It began to break. They carried only one net, not expecting to catch anything. They hadn't caught anything all night. So they only took one net. But you know, if, when God tells us to take our nets, we should take all of them because we just don't know what he's going to do. Why did they catch the fish? Because Jesus was in the boat the second time round. And I think God is saying to us tonight, if, if you're failing, if we're failing, get Jesus in your boat. If you're struggling with anything tonight, whatever it may be, if you've lost your joy, get Jesus in your boat. Fish do not just leap into your boat if Jesus is not in the boat. In his presence, there's hope. In his presence, there's confidence. Gloom disappears. It is replaced with joy. Diseases are healed. Burdens are lifted. Raging storms surrender in the presence of God. Now, I believe another reason why Peter should have said to Jesus, well, I'm not really going back into the sea. 
was public opinion. Can you picture the scene? There were multitudes of people on the beach, most of them fishermen. That's why they lived by the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine when Peter and they went, put their nets in, got into the boat and started out? The fishermen on the, on the beach would have been laughing. They would have been cracking up. They've been laughing their heads off. What's he doing? See, public opinion and the word of God are never on the same radar screen. Public opinion is never God's opinion. We cannot please God and please the world. The world tells us everything's acceptable. Try a little of this, try a little of that. Homosexual is acceptable. It's a secondary lifestyle. Everything is okay. Everything's acceptable. But public opinion and God's opinion are never the same. And quite often, we don't because we know we'll be laughed at. We think that no... Uh, we're afraid of what people would think. I remember when I was in hospital in May 2005, I was in a room with three other ladies, in a ward, sorry, with three other ladies. And one, one day, uh, there was one particular lady who was struggling, had been struggling for the whole week. She had all her family around her at visiting time, and I knew she'd been really very poorly. And I lay there in my bed and looked across at her, and I know God was saying to me, go and pray with her. And I said, who, me? But I'm sick as well, like everybody else. I know she's got all her family around there, and, and I was finding every reason not to do it. Eventually, I did. Because I sat and I thought, well, what would people say? What would the nurses say? What, the doctors came in. What will her family say? And it was, it was always, what would other people say? What public opinion? What are people going to say? Are they going to laugh at me? In the end, I thought, I had better go and pray because I wouldn't hear the end of this. So I did. And it was amazing. I still get phone calls from that lady now, today, saying, I will not, never forget the day you came over and prayed with me. Because believe it or not, the problem that she had was resolved that day. And I kicked and screamed and, and I protested initially because I didn't want to look a fool with all the people that were around. It was visiting hours. I said, okay, thank you, God. Couldn't you have chosen a quieter time when there was no one around? But God asks us to do things. Perhaps to test us. Perhaps to see what our response would be. Perhaps to help us to grow, to trust him more. So that we grow stronger and I learned a lesson that day I still say no and I do actually rebel now and then 
but I always remember that occasion. So there, like Peter, we, would have, we can have lots of reasons not to do the strange things that God asks us to do. One very interesting point I would make about this story is I looked it up and, and uh, read one of the commentaries by Jerome Rodriguez. And he stated that according to Greek historians, Greek historians, that day the fishermen caught 153 different kinds of fish, large fish, in that catch. And he says, in the Bible, the sea represents the earth, and Jesus has called us to be fishers of men. And the point he was making was that at that particular time, there were probably 153 groups of different nations on the earth or different cultures, different types of people. And this is what he said to his disciples, go out and take the word to all the world, to the ends of the earth, take the gospel, take my message, take my message of love, And I thought about this and I thought one of these days the last person on the earth will hear the gospel, will hear the message and when that happens the Lord will return for his church and his children. Just think about that. That was their commission to go out into the world and preach the gospel to every creature and one day the last person will hear it. Jesus told his disciples to cast their net on the right side of the boat because the right side is the position of power. Jesus sits in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father. In the olden days, the Jewish fathers used to bless their children on the right. Today, if there's anything that's, you know, really troubling us, really getting us down. I believe God is saying to us today, let me get into that boat. You know, the, living for the Lord is a 24-7 experience. The 90 minutes we do on a Sunday, perhaps in the morning and in the evening, doesn't even scratch the surface. And another interesting thing I... I discovered as I read the story, to the end, it says, the fishermen forsook all and followed Jesus after the miracle, that miracle of provision. And I thought about that. That was a mind-boggling verse. They forsook their boats, their nets, their families. And I spent a lot of time thinking, have I done that? Do I need to take stock? Forsaking all to follow Jesus. 
And as I was thinking about that, my mind went back to Matthew 13, about the, uh, the man who discovered there was a piece of property that had a pearl of great price. And he went and sold everything he had bought, he had, and he bought it. Those of you who don't know that, story, that parable, Matthew 13, good uh, reading for bed tonight, just to remind yourself. And it reminds me of a story. Man walks into a jewelry store and he sees a brilliant pearl. He asks the salesman, how much? Oh, the salesman said, it is very expensive. The man says, yes, but how much does it cost? A very, very large amount. Do you think I can buy it? Yes, of course you can buy it. Anybody can buy it. So the man says, all right, then I'll buy it. The salesman said, okay, but I need from you, I need you to give me everything you've got. He says, the man says, okay, I have 10,000 pounds in the bank. You can have that. The salesman said, is that all? He thought for a while. He says, well, I've got my wallet, whatever's in there. He takes his wallet out and about to take the cash out. And the salesman said, no, I'll have that. I'll have everything. I'll have the wallet as well. And the salesman said, is that all you have? And he says, yes, that, that's all I have. He says, well, where do you live? Oh, he says, I live in my house downtown. He said, well, I'll have that as well. And the man says, so you mean I have to sleep in my caravan? He says, you've got a caravan, I'll have that as well. So, well, that means I'll have to sleep in my car. Oh, I'll have that as well. He says, well, that's all I have. All I'm left with is my wife and my children. I'll have that as well. The man looked and he said, well, that's everything I have got. Is that enough to buy the pearl? And the salesman said, oh no, we haven't even touched the surface yet. That's not all I want from you. I want your heart. I want your soul. I want your mind. I want your talents. I want your time. I want everything that you have because that is what it took to create this pearl. Everything that you have. And that's what God deserves from us. And as I was thinking about that, I re recall the words of that song. When I survey the wondrous course written by Isaac Watts, one of the, one of the lines says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I think that's the least that we can give to the Lord. It's the least we can give for what Jesus did for us. Get Jesus in your boat.